Thanks so much for joining us, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, we've already looked at this chapter one week, but I wanted to come do a, a preface message to this called The Purpose of Prophecy. And if you haven't listened to that message, or if you, hadn't, if you couldn't be with us that evening, it's two weeks ago, go back and listen to that. And there's some notes online where I give you some prophetic ways to interpret the Scriptures. And I also show you some ways that other people interpret the Scriptures, uh, just to be fair, so that we could look at that. But tonight, the, the title of this message is God is Our Salvation. Now, the question I'd like you to keep in mind is why so many hundreds and years before Christ was born that God gave this prophecy. So many hundreds of years before Calvary that God gave this prophecy to Israel. And then keep in mind, because what we're going to read in, in Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14 will not be fulfilled until the Battle of Armageddon and after the Battle of Armageddon. So one of the things that we have to have in our minds is why did God give us these prophecies? And if we kind of keep that question in mind, then it will help us as we read prophecy not to just go about making charts and not just go about writing books that intrigue people, but help us live our lives day to day to day. The purpose of prophecy is to not make us look ahead. It's to make us look in our hearts right now so that we live ready for the return of our Lord. I want to read a verse of Scripture, though, from 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 34 through 35, first of all tonight. And this is in your outline. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Can you say amen to that? Can you think of a time where God has been good in your life? Can you think of a time today God was good to you? Yeah, I can too. His faithful love endures forever. Do you know how painful it is for me when I'm having to talk or to pray with someone, when they tell me their husband, their wife doesn't love them anymore, or when a father calls me and says, my son told me today he hates me, and the pain I know that they experience, but God's faithfulness, God's love, you're never going to exhaust the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. His faithful love endures forever. Now notice this, cry out, save us, O God, of our salvation. Gather us and rescue us from among the nations so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. We're instructed that when we're in trouble, we're instructed that when we're suffering, we're instructed when we're going through a trial to cry out. Now, I don't mean to be dramatic, but when I read cry out, I'm hearing cry out, okay? That's, if you're frightened, you cry out. If, you, if you're really intense about wanting something, you cry out. And so sometimes people pray desperately the way that Hannah prayed. She must have been crying out to the Lord in such a way that the high priest Eli thought she was drunk, you know? And so it's important when we read a verse like this, we don't go, oh, cry out. You know, there's no passion in that. When I read a book, I want passion in the book. I want the characters to love well, and I want them to hate well, okay? I want to feel the feeling in that novel. I want to get engaged with it. Well, I think there are times in prayer we need to cry out. But here's what I'd like you to circle, that phrase right there, God of our salvation. Would you circle that? God of our salvation. God is the Lord of our salvation. You see, a running theme of the Bible 
is God is our salvation. That is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. God is our salvation. Now, if you could think of the salvation of the Lord being like a gigantic umbrella that's erected over your life, as long as you're under that umbrella, you're protected. When I'm doing premarital counseling, and I've got a young man in my office that wants to be a husband, I ask him, I said, are you ready to live like an umbrella? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, are you ready to live your life protecting your fiancé? When children come, are you ready to live your life protecting those children? And I said, I want you to imagine this, because if you're unfaithful to the Lord, it's like poking a hole in that umbrella where something can get through to hurt your family. And so are you ready? Because you're asking, you're asking a woman to submit herself to you as her husband. You're asking her to leave her mother and father's home. We're not talking about an arrangement here. We're not talking about conditional love. We're talking about unconditional love. And when you cry out, God is our salvation, if you could imagine, and maybe an umbrella is not the best way to put it, but none of us could imagine walking around with an iron dome over our head, but an umbrella of God's protection, God will never fail you. God will never leave you. And that's the reason so many times that God uses the abandoned wife or the widowed wife or the orphan child as an illustration to say, I will be both a father, a mother, a husband to them. So God says, I am the God of your salvation. Well, we looked at Zechariah chapter 12 at length. We read it last time, so I won't take time to go back to all of that again. But how does God save us? I mean, if we're going to look at that question honestly, how does God save us? How many of you have ever heard about this? You know, we're called to save souls. How many of you have ever heard that phrase? We're not called to save souls. Jesus doesn't save souls. Jesus saves people, spirit, soul, and body. He saves us all. He saves us completely. He doesn't just save my soul and say, okay, your body's on its own. I'm so thankful that one day when this body dies, it's going to be resurrected. <laughs> I'm so thankful that when I'm sick, I can call upon the Lord for healing. So God saves us first. God saves us physically. God saves and delivers us physically from all of our enemies. In Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 9, uh, here's an interesting passage that we looked at uh, two weeks ago. I will begin to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Israel and Judah would not have been saved if God doesn't save them and deliver them. And what he's saying here in this chapter, he's speaking to the people that are still in Babylon, that they've gotten so comfortable in Babylon, they don't want to come to Jerusalem because remember, Jerusalem was a heap of rubble. Remember what I said in Sunday morning's message? Eleazar said to Abraham, if I can't find a wife, should I take your son Isaac back to the land of your birth? He says, no, never go back to the land of idols. Never go back. Say that with me. Never go back. We don't want to backslide. We want to keep moving forward. We want to keep moving ahead. So God is calling them and he's saying, I am going to deliver Jerusalem, Judea, Israel. I'm going to, and you need to know this. It may be comfortable in the world right now, and I think God is saying this today to a lot of lost people through COVID, through the wars that we're still going through, through terrorism and everything that's happening. 
God is saying, I believe to a lot of lost people right now, you may be comfortable in this world, but there is a time coming when the world is no longer going to be able to protect you. And so we're seeing, I think, a great revival of prayer as people reach out. Lost people matter to God, and God is saying, come, he'll save us physically. How does he do it? He saves us by his word. He saves us by his word. I thought you, the Bible said he saves us by his blood. Well, you stick on. We're going to keep going there. Listen to this from Zechariah 12.1. This message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. This message is from the Lord who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, and formed the human spirit. Would you underline this phrase, stretched out, laid the, and formed the. Stretched out, laid the, formed the. The reason I want you to to see that, in the Hebrew, look at me, don't miss this. In the Hebrew, These participles mean an ongoing sustaining of the foundations of the earth, an ongoing renewing of the holy of of the spirit of mankind. The deist are wrong that they say God created the world and set it in order and the world just began to operate and function on its own. No, every single day God is holding everything together. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God according to John chapter 1. I told you I was excited, and I just thought, dial it down a little bit, you know. know, He he sustains. I I had this this momentary boom, just thought this morning. You know, I'm praying, I'm getting ready for tonight, and I'm always my best in the morning. I'm fresh in the morning. But do you know that there's no single leaf on a tree that's just the same on any tree in the world? You know, there's no snowflake that's the same. There's no heartbeat. There's no thumbprint. I can keep going. And all of creation, every blade of grass is different. Now, to the naked eye, we may look at them and say, well, all those maple leaves are alike. No, they're not. There's unique differences. You know why? Because God is a creator. Only a machine makes everything just alike. So when you put a pattern in a machine or you put a die in a machine... It stamps out everything just alike. And that's what the deist wanted to say, that the world is a machine and God wound up the clock and it's just tick, 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 ticking. No, God every single day is sustaining you and I. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? I, I think that's powerful. The Lord is sustaining us. He saves us by his power. He saves us by his power. God's power is at work in your life and in my life. Look at Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 8. On that day, the Lord will defend the people of Jerusalem, and the weakest among them will be as mighty as King David, and the royal descendants will be like God, like the angel of the Lord who goes before them. Who could make any human being like these descriptors if it wasn't for the power of God? We used to sing a song when I was a kid. There's power, power, wonder-working power. And I can remember singing that song as a child and hearing that in church. And, and that's just a part of my, I guess, my DNA. Because once in a while, I'll find myself just breaking out in that song. God literally says, 
He's going to roll up his sleeve. Well, when I, when I read this, it really kind of boosts my faith because I grew up in a family of very strong men. I grew up in a family of very muscular cousins and uncles and my father, and, and I didn't possess all that strength being disabled. But when I read this, God is saying the weakest among them, that includes me, I'm going to be as mighty as King David's. And if David could drop a giant with a rock because he trusted in the name of the Lord, every single one of us can slay the giants that come our way. If there's a giant in our way and he's not dead, it's because we haven't put our faith in God. Put our faith in God. And David picked up five rocks because Goliath had four brothers. He was ready for the rest of them. I remember when I was studying in Israel, I went to the Jabbok River, and I picked up five stones right out of that Jabbok River, and I kept them on my desk. And, and when our house was flooded in the big flood in Georgia, I, I lost those. And of all the things that I lost, those are the things that I miss most because I often looked at those rocks. God is saying he will save us. by. It's not that I would necessarily be as strong as, as, as David. It's this that God is going to save. Look at me. God's power is not limited in your life if you put your faith in him. God's power is not limited in your life. Don't limit the power of God in your life by not trusting God. Sometimes it's not that God can't do it. It's simply because we don't give him the opportunity. Remember, I ask you tonight, why did God give these prophecies so many hundreds of years that were fulfilled literally, and there's still more to be fulfilled. We have to keep that question in the back of our mind. Secondly, God saves spiritually. God saves spiritually. Our souls and our spirits, they need that renewing, that rebirth. My spirit is dead in, in trespasses and sin. That's exactly how we're described. We're, we're described as dead in trespasses and sin. But guess what happens to the old man? That once we give our hearts to Jesus and we put our faith in Christ, then that old person that we were, it's died. It's died. And so we're dead to the things of this earth. We're dead to the things of this world. As a youth pastor, I remember one time we got a couple of mannequins. We got them to church from a local clothing store and we did all kinds of skits trying to tempt these mannequins. They were dead. Of course, they didn't respond. And that was the thing that we were trying to illustrate to our teenagers at the time. What happens when the old man dies and we live unto Christ? And you say, how does that happen? And I'd love to spend more time with this, but I can't. I just, we, we're trying to wrap this up with the purpose of prophecy. This is an amazing Amazing verse of Scripture. Remember I talked about fulfilled literally? This verse of Scripture, it awes even, quote, theologians who aren't Christians. This verse of Scripture awes people who don't even believe in God because we know archaeologically, we know historically, this passage was fulfilled. The Bible says then, now this is talking about a future day, then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. And they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. Again, why 
so many hundreds of years before was this prophecy given. I want you to notice something, though, here. Circle the word I. Circle the word spirit. And circle the word mourn for him, or the word him, and only son. When I read this, I see the Trinity there. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I want you to notice this. God says, I will pour out a spirit of grace. What is grace? Look at me for just a second. Somebody tell me what grace is. I say this all the time. Okay, that's what you're going to read in the dictionary. All right, let's put it down. What does that mean to you and me? There we go. Thank you, Natalie. You've been listening. Grace is when God gives me what I don't. You're correct. It's unmerited favor. <laughs> say that to the man on the street. But if you say, God gives me what I don't deserve, that's grace. And the way that all of us come to know Jesus is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. He draws us. No man comes to the Father, the Bible says, unless the Spirit of the Lord draws him. So God pours out a spirit of grace, and he opens our eyes. And today I had someone come up to me and says, are you a pastor? And I said, I'd try to never wear a tie, but today I had to wear a tie for a meeting. He says, no, that's not why I ask you. And I said, why? He says, you glow. And I said, thank you, that's Jesus. That has nothing to do with me. I could be a crabby old pastor. But Jesus, when he's in your heart, that spirit of grace, God gives you what you don't deserve. Do you get it? Now notice this. How many of you ever feel like I just don't know how to pray? Ask God to pour out upon you a spirit of prayer as well. I will pour out a spirit of grace, this is plural, and prayer. There are times when I ask the Lord to follow me so I know how to pray. There are times when I need him to help me pray. And then what's going to happen? And we're going to look at this more when we get to chapter 13 and 14. But since it's here in chapter 12, let's go ahead and talk about it. The Jewish people saw this. And I'm, I'm going to make a statement, and I don't mean this to be insulting either to Christianity or to Judaism. But just think about this with me. In reality, Christianity is Jewish. Okay? In reality, Christianity is Jewish. A Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, the early church was made up of Jews. The early church had to go through persecution until they began to spread out and reach the Gentiles, like you and me. So when you think about Christianity, we Gentiles, let's follow this. This is good, and this don't cost you a thing. This is good. You and I have been grafted into natural Israel. We're the wild branches. My wife loves to watch garden shows, and there's one that she likes to watch that comes from Mackinac Island. And I was putting on my running shoes, and there was this, this, this tree on Mackinac Island that because they wanted this certain sort of bush to get really big, and it can't get big on its own, oh, this is so good, <laughs> they grafted some of the limbs of the bush into this wild cherry tree, this black cherry tree. 
And the cherry tree just caused those, that bush, whatever it's called, aspect of Sheen, tell you, it just caused it to boom, explode. Because the cherry tree could provide so much more support, so much more energy, so much more life. You and I were dead in trespasses and sin, and God grafted us into Christ and made us a part of the church, which was Jewish. Christianity is Jewish. Okay? Now, that's important to recognize because you and I, it's not the Jews that crucified Christ. It's not the Romans that crucified Christ. This prophecy tells us this. They, who is they in this, in this prophecy? They are those who are alive at the time of Armageddon. When the enemies and the nations of the world would be gathered against Jerusalem to try to destroy it. And they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Those people at that time... My friend Adam didn't literally pierce Christ. My friend Asher didn't literally pierce Christ. I didn't literally pierce Christ. But Mel Gibson got it right in The Passion of the Christ when they made that movie. It's his hand. It's his hand holding the stake and his hand, his hand driving the hammer. And although you don't know that it's him, you think it's a Roman soldier. But he said, I wanted to do that. Because it was a reminder to me that I pierced Christ. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And he died for all of us. A spirit of grace, which is what? When God gives me what I don't deserve. And he gives me a spirit of prayer to know how to pray. And I recognize Jesus is really who he said he is. Can we give him another hand of praise? Hallelujah. Man. You know, I really feel like I could preach for a little while tonight. <laughs> the safest place for you and me, then, is in the center of God's will. The safest place for you and me is in the center of God's will. Because God saves us physically. He saves us spiritually. He saves us mentally. We don't have time to go through all of it tonight. But look at what he says in Zechariah 12, 4. Now, this battle is coming. This battle is coming. And he says, I will watch over the people of Judah, and I will blind all the horses of their enemies. Now, Okay, this is one of those places where it's, you know, I think you have to go, okay, this is one of those times where we talked about in the purpose of prophecy, sometimes you read, and you have to ask yourself, is this literal? You know, I can't see horses being used in modern day battle. I don't know if this is tanks. I don't know if this, I don't know, it could be horses. I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to be. You know, it might even be the, because now we've got satellites and everything. You know, if satellites were to go down, if China or Russia was to attack a U.S. satellite right now and it was to go down, our eyes on the ground would be gone. I mean, so much of what we do happens right out of MacDill in Tampa. And so it would be gone. And so I don't know what it is, but God says, I will blind their enemies. So it might be, I'm just, this is, this and two bucks at Starbucks will get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> it might be that somehow or another God causes the satellites in the skies to go down when they come against Jerusalem and they don't know what to do. Because in the 67 war, God did intervene 
in that sandstorm that grounded those Russian MiGs that had come to attack Israel when Israel was unprepared for the Yom Kippur War. So it's very important we understand. What did we just look at? Those participles says he's continually laying the foundations of the earth. He's continually renewing the spirit of man. God is at work today. I'm almost out of time. God next uses trials to prepare us. Have you ever wondered why trials come into our lives? You ever wondered that? Oh, you're so spiritual. You're not like me. God, why? <laughs> really? I mean, I've done that. I mean, I've just, I've, sometimes I've just gone, God, I don't get it. Why? <laughs> and I'd like to tell you that the heavens part and the angels come down and go, Dennis, this is why. <laughs> Doesn't usually work that way. But God, what I've learned, and hindsight, if you're mature, hindsight becomes 2020. Foresight is not always 2020. But hindsight is 2020. That God uses trials to prepare us. God says, look at Zechariah 14 2, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. That's God. What? You just told us in Zechariah chapter 11 and Zechariah chapter 10, you've told us what you're going to do for us. And now you're telling us you're going to bring the nations against us? That is not the kind of answer to prayer that I want. Would you? But you know what has happened? If you, as we go through chapter 13 and 14, and we talked about it a little bit last week, we have to ask ourselves the question, why has God given this prophecy? Because the people of God have a way of experiencing revival and then relaxing and putting everything else before God. God hears our prayers of repentance after 9-11. The Congress stands on the steps of the, of the Capitol, Democrats and Republicans alike. Prayer meetings, God bless America. This sanctuary was packed out with people just coming in, not even a single announcement made. Things get a little bit better, we go back to our old ways. God allows something else to come along, and we have to, once again, humble ourselves. COVID came along, and all of a sudden, everybody wanted prayer. Everybody wanted the Word of God. Things get better, people go back. I'm not being negative. I'm just being very transparent with you. God, sometimes, if we're not faithful to persevere because God loves us, look at me, because God loves us, everything God does is redemptive. Never forget that. Everything God does is redemptive. When God allows a trial to come into our life, there's a purpose. Furthermore, look at Ephesians 1.11. I think this kind of helps us understand. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. Underline that phrase, He makes everything work out according to His plan. God chose you. I don't know your name, but he knows your name. I love your smile, but he knows your name. He, know, he chose you, Dorinda. You didn't choose him. Now, you chose to follow him when he awakened your heart to salvation. I chose to follow him when he convicted me of my sins and awakened my heart to salvation. So I can sing with credibility, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turn, I don't know if you remember that song, No Turning Back. Though, no go, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. But God chose us, 
And then God says this because you're my kid, Lisa. I'm going to make everything work out according to plan. But Lisa, if you start straying off the path, I'm going to let a trial come into your life because I'm going to make everything. God's going to save you whether you like it or not. <laughs> my daddy told me one time, I remember I got hot and mad about something. And do you ever say anything stupid when you were a kid? <laughs> and I just said, all right, I'm, just, I'm going to leave home. And my dad said, fella, you can run, but you can't hide. He said, I don't care where you go. I will find you. And when I find you, I am going to hug you. I'm going to kiss you. And I'm going to wear your hide out to where it won't hold shucks. You know what he was saying? Everything's going to work out. Everything's going to work out. No matter where you go, you can't hide from God. David says, if I descend to the heights or if I descend to the lowest parts of hell, God, you are there. God's present. And then God brings us salvation by his Holy Spirit. He brings us salvation by his Holy Spirit. I want to look at this passage again one more time, Zechariah 12, 10. I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer. Would you circle that phrase, pour out? I am asking God to pour out his spirit on you, on me, on my family, on our community, on our church, on our nation. Let's pray for a spirit of grace and for a spirit of prayer and supplication to come upon our nation. Because, as John 6 and verse 63 says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I hope you enjoyed this. And if I got a little too passionate, then I pray you'll forgive me. But this, to me, is such good news. God is your salvation. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, thank you. Oh, God, thank you for the bottom of our hearts, for giving us what we don't deserve. Thank you for withholding from us what we do deserve, Lord. That's called mercy. And thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And thank you that we know there's not only a plan for yesterday, there was a plan today, and there is a plan tomorrow. And we look forward to the return of our Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Good night.